But I find that your your name is associated with all of this anyway. Your reputation's associated with it all anyway. And so, you know, to just just put it out there and make sure that, that everybody knows they could, because transparency is where trust comes from. And the most important thing you can have with a customer or with an employee is trust. That's Vanessa Didick, CEO of Zemi, the number one social media platform for authentic peer engagement and live virtual events for colleges and universities. Vanessa shares her career journey on this episode of the Leadership Backstory, and it's a fascinating one. From building a successful business out of college to acquisition to starting a subsidiary to the top spot at Zemi, there are lots of leadership lessons packed into this episode. Brendan Schneider and I learned a lot, and we know you will too, so let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Peter Barron. And I'm Brendan Schneider. Yeah, and welcome to the Leadership Backstory podcast series. And, you know, Brendan, today we've got a really cool guest who is the CEO of a company that I've, I've been fascinated with since 2017 because I had the opportunity to, to connect with them way back when, and that's Vanessa Didick. She's on, she's here with us. Hey, Vanessa, how are you? <laughs> I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Vanessa, the, the idea here is we want to hear your backstory. We want to understand like how you grew throughout your career and what were the what were the lessons that you've taken and applied to, you know, the work that you do at Zemi and, and we'll get into Zemi. Like I I've got tons of questions about Zemi. Mainly because I'm also I'm fascinated with it. I've got a daughter who's about to enter into the college process. So maybe I can get some tips along the way here. Uh but I was, you know, looking at your your career backstory and there's some really interesting things like from the very beginning of your career, it looks like you were like injected with entrepreneurial spirit, right? And I'd love to start, you know, you, well, go back as far as you'd like, but kind of if you can tap into that and walk us through it, I'd love to hear more about about those early days. Sure. Yeah. I th- I think I was always like a a leader in in school and you know always running for like class president and school president and that kind of stuff even in elementary school i think um i was trying to think back in you know to prep for this and like i remember in fifth grade creating like an all girls flag football team because there were only boys flag football team. Oh, that's awesome. But my backstory is not one of those where i was like i was running a lemonade stand or you know selling stuff or running businesses at like, you know, age five, like that was not, not me, but I was doing things that were always leadership oriented and, Mm -hmm. um, just really liked being like a team captain. And so I think I was really drawn to that. And I think part of that is because of my parents. So my, my dad's an entrepreneur. Um, he actually is the reason that it's legal to sell hot dogs and food at all on the streets in San Francisco. So he was the first, the the guy that made it legal. He came from Queens, New York, and uh, came to San Francisco and was like, why is there no food on the streets? And so he fought for it and um, has been running this business for 45 years or something since. So he's kind of the the original. So that's he, on one side. He deserves a high five. How yeah, awesome he's got, he should yeah. be on the podcast. Is that really, the dirty cause... water hot dog? Is that what that he's is? He's got the best, oh, with the cleanest, the cleanest carts you've ever <laughs> See, my my it. dad is meticulous about food safety. I love that. Um, yeah, so so that's that's kind of on that side. And then my mom uh, was a college professor, so the at oh, at wow. a community college. So the the two I think probably made me who I who I am. And I don't know. After I graduated from college, I went to UC Berkeley, and after I tutored ever since I was like a a 
little kid. I hated babysitting. And so instead I tutored, uh, even in elementary school, I would tutor peers and make a little bit of cash. So that was sort of a natural thing for me to do. And I, I started my first company right out of college doing that. Yeah, tell us about it. So it was called Scholar Station. Right out of college, you, you founded yeah. a tutoring company. Like, what made you think, I mean, you said you were tutoring all the way, you know, through college and earlier, but like, what, what gave you the idea to pursue it and actually form it as a business? Yeah, it was a couple of things. So I started, I worked for another company um, at the end of college and right after I graduated and I kept having all these ideas and I'd go talk to my dad and say, you know, why don't they do this? And and actually those those guys are good friends of mine still today. Um, but I would go talk to my dad and I'd say, wait, why, why aren't they, you know, building the business in this way? Or I just saw all these obvious kind of expansion areas and things, things to do. And, and my dad would say, why don't you start your own? And I was like, well, that seems like a lot of work. I should probably work for another one for a long time before I learn the business and really know how to do this. And he was like, or you just learn by doing and you just get out there and you just do it. And at the time, I also um, I have an autoimmune illness and it was really hitting me hard around that time. And so working for somebody else didn't really make a lot of sense. And so I kind of liked the idea of forging yeah. my own path and and being able to work when I wanted and and build the business the way that I wanted and support employees the way that I wanted to be supported. And so I think that was really a big piece of it too. So I started, I kind of hung my shingle and got out there and said, I'm ready to do this. I hired a bunch of people and we kind of took that leap of faith and then it grew and grew. And we had, you know, at any given time, probably 60 tutors working. I went back and got a certificate in college advising and in professional editing and then started doing that too and the business just kept expanding throughout the bay area in san francisco bay area it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and um yeah it was great we had a we had a really solid presence i loved working with all the kids and training tutors and supporting supporting people in that in that way kind of leading everybody it was so much fun Uh, wait vanessa i'm blown away by this so you were just out of college and you had how many people up to like 60? Yeah, it, it was amazing. And I I lied to everybody about my age. <laughs> everybody. Like I would go and like like any of these parents believed me, right? Like any they saw it. this little, you know, what, 24 year old or whatever I was at the time coming in and they and I'd be like, oh, I'm 28. Because for some reason I thought 28 made a lot more sense. And then old. when I was like yeah, when I was 26, I was telling people I was 29 and, you know, like it was just, and then now I lie the other way and, you know, it's a, it's a different, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a different story. Yeah. Were, were you scared at all? Like, so here, here's my thing is I've recently gone out on my own. Yeah. Finally, after how many years hung my shingle and I, yeah. I've explained it like I've, I was 50% more excited than I ever have been in my life and 50% scared out of my mind. I couldn't imagine doing that. Yeah in my mid twenties. What was that like for you? I didn't find it scary. I found it, it just made sense. Every, it just, I saw a clear path, how to do this. And no, it it didn't, it was never scary. I think leading um, the charge has has never really been, and at that time, what do you have to lose, right? Like just go get a job or go to grad school or- And what do you know? You don't know any different, right? Exactly. It's like, if I doesn't, well, I don't know. If it doesn't work, isn't that just how it works? I don't know. Well, and my, you know, again, my parents being entrepreneurs, like I just, I don't know, one foot in front of the other, just 
just kind of do it. I don't think I knew how much was at risk or how much I was going to have to learn or, and being a small business owner versus running like a venture backed business are two completely different things. And I think that's a lot of the risk with, with being a small business owner, everything that you put into the business is from your own pocket. You know, it's sort of a trade-off each time and you become a really good operator as a result. Vanessa, you said you wanted to create, maybe make sure I get the, I get this right. So you yeah. wanted to create a business that that you wanted to create that like, was like true to who you are, but you also wanted to create mm-hmm. a business that treated people the way you wanted to be treated. And I, yep. What did that look like? I'm super curious because that's yeah. pretty profound. Especially, like, yeah. I'm I'm much older than 24 now, and it's mm-hmm. like it's taken me years to figure this stuff out. Like, how, what 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 did that mean to you back then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wanted to create something where we were all on the same team, part of a team. I had developed a lot of skills in teaching and and tutoring. I'd worked, you know, as teacher's assistant, and like dental, and I felt like there was I had a lot to offer other people, young people who wanted to work for me, peers who wanted to work for me. And so we did a lot of trainings. We did a lot of teamwork, team sessions. That kind of support I felt was really, really important. Um, and then to, to, to run a company that was really transparent and really honest and was really built around what was best for each individual student. And I And all the decisions that we made were always about what was best for each individual student, um, from pricing to, you know, how to structure kind of the plan for each student. We would graduate students who we felt didn't need our support anymore. We wouldn't just kind of continue to collect the checks. I feel like there was a lot of room to to do this in a really honorable way. I don't don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. What did transparency mean to you? Because that, you know, that that's a really interesting concept. I, I, I'm fascinated by organizations that default to open and are very mm-hmm. clear about, you know, their decisions. But there's always a line. And I'm just, I'd love to hear more what that meant to you. Yeah. Uh, it, there were lots of things. It's a good question. Um, transparency in the beginning was just about being really clear about, you know, who we are, how we're doing. To, to the other people on the team. I wanted to make sure they knew how we were doing, how we were expanding, how the company was growing. To the customers, I wanted to make sure that they knew you know, who we were, the background on all the, the people that we employed. Um, and then we actually had an incident where there was some allegation against one of our tutors. And I was like, I was probably 27 maybe um, when this happened, 26, 27. And I there was a, a pretty major allegation against one of the tutors and the police were involved. And, wow. um, and actually the family called me and said, you know, here's something that we think happened at, at our house. Um, and it was probably the worst day of, of my life. Like this is exactly the yeah. kinds of things that you wouldn't want to have happen. And the family said, what do we do? And I said, we call the police right now. Like before I do anything else, we call the police and we, we call the police. So we did, uh, the family's like, oh, we don't need to do that. You know, just maybe we just handle this. And, and I said, no, like we need to call the police. And then I wrote a letter to every single customer and family that we had and to share with everybody what was going on, encourage the police to reach out, you know, to make sure that there was no other issues with any of our tutors. Yeah. I and mean, it was one of those moments that was just like a, a defining moment for me and like 
how you handle this is it says everything about who you are, who your company is. You know, one of those. I, I don't mean to go to such like a deep story yeah. or like you know, but like yeah. this is this is the stuff yeah. that happens, right? Like right. when you're a business owner, good things, beautiful things happen, and and difficult things happen, and your name is tied to everything that happens. And I think so. Transparency for me, I wasn't actually planning on talking about this one, but um, transparency was everything. And I think it got us through. And we um, had the support of the communities that we worked in and all the families. And I still have a great relationship with that family today. And, you know, I mean, I think it's just like it's just how you handle it and, and that people know that you're being honest and that there's there's nothing hidden behind the curtain. I still operate that way today. That's we just had a a meeting um, at CME and we went through all the financials of the company with every single employee. So everybody knows exactly where we are. Whenever anything happens, everybody at the company knows that they can count on me to to be as clear as possible and as transparent as possible. What, oh, Peter, I was just going to say, so if transparency, transparency is like a core value, mm-hmm. did that come from a lack of transparency at one point in your career? No. Or just that was... You just knew that. Yeah, I don't, I, no, it never, um, I have experienced working in an environment where I didn't have all the information, um, but I don't, this was before that. So, so no, I I think it just has always been a part of my style, I guess. I think, you know, I was senior class president in, in high school and same, same rules applied. Um, yeah. you know, captain of a sports team, same rules apply. Like it's just, just people do better when, when they try, I find that people do better when they trust that, that I'm, they know everything. Then, then it takes that anxiety out and then they, yeah. we can all just kind of like, you know, march in the same direction. I have, so two questions about that. Oh, a comment and a question. The comment yeah. is, I completely agree because I think the and the lack of transparency creates false narratives. Yes, and just their things can spin and stories can emerge mm-hmm. in people's brains because they don't have access to the right information to actually understand what's right. going on. And uh, I, it's something I think about a lot, and it's really fun to hear somebody who's doing it and doing it doing it well because it can be scary because you are you know you're putting yourself out there. Absolutely. But I find that your your name is associated with all of this anyway. Yeah. Your reputation's associated with it all right. anyway. And so, you know, to just just put it out there and make sure that that everybody knows they could because transparency is where trust comes from. And the most important thing you can have with a customer or with an employee is trust, I think. Is this a is this a lesson your parents taught you? I mean, did you see your I mean, how did Yes. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. We my parents were amazing at at just fostering trust in our in our family and we could talk about anything and we didn't always have to agree but we could talk about anything and i could just be who i was and there was a lot of yeah strength in that yeah that's powerful empowerment how then uh as you were developing your first business like Mm -hmm. at what point did you think "Hmm, i may have something that somebody may want to acquire like did it just come come out of the blue i never thought of that yeah Yeah. no that i i never really had an exit strategy in mind i thought maybe someday i would just kind of wind it down and go start another one um and do something else i they actually approached me we we met sort of just 
I don't know, serendipitously they, in they being San Rev. Francisco. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So Rev uh, is this great company in San Francisco. They do, um, they've got some incredible tech now that does um, language processing and stuff. But they, at the time, were doing translation, transcription. They had built this business on um, leveraging the sort of underutilized um, at-home workforce. So people who are home for any number of reasons have a lot of skills and can do different kinds of work. And so they started with captioning and translation and transcription and something that somebody can just sit at their computer and do these jobs. And they yep. were looking to get into another vertical and expand to other workforces, people with other skills. And they saw a lot of opportunity in education. Mm -hmm. I happened to meet them at like a friend's giving party in, um, in San Francisco. And we just chatted all night and they were like, can we pick your brain about education? We're, you know, exploring, getting into it. And so we just continued the conversation over, you know, lunch and just got together over and over. And then um, I kind of joined them as a consultant for a little bit. And then it just, they approached me and said, you know, what if you come on full time? And I said, no, nope, I have a company. I'm doing great. Like we're, we're all doing great. Um, and, and they said, well, what if, what if we got that too? And I was like, that never occurred to me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> so, How did that fit? Yeah. Like, did they, did you have a piece of technology or were you mainly just, a, were you mainly a services-based organization? It was mainly services-based. Yeah. We yeah. were, we were very early days in remote tutoring. So my tutors were available uh, via Skype, via, so we, we kind of expanded our reach that way. But then we also found that even students who a tutor could drive to needed support in between those those sessions and so that's kind of where the remote support kind of sprang from i guess hey, yeah. and so we started doing skype tutoring we started doing like text you know a student would take a picture of the problem that yeah. they're working on and then the tutor could just text them back some some ideas and some information or they could just hop on a quick phone call and talk through it or they could you know again hop on skype or something like that then I found that the tutors were drawing out solutions and kind of drawing out <laughs> these. Um, so they'd get a, a problem texted from the student and they would kind of write out like, here's how you do this. Not like in a in a way that was just so the student could just copy it, but it was, it was instructional. Like right. they would write out, they would take the time, these amazing humans would take the time to just not expecting to get paid initially. Um, they'd write out these these step-by-step -step solutions to teach the student. And that was really resonating with the audience. Rev and I were talking about this and we were like, wait a second, there's a there there, like there's yeah. a product here. And so our our very first product that we tested actually was something very similar to that. So it was um, once they finally bought the company and we started building a different business, our very first product was actually something very similar to that, which was text a, a problem and have a credentialed teacher record a video teaching you how to how to do solve the problem kind of like a little you know almost con like it was totally like a yeah. personalized con experience it was really cool so i want to know more about your director of product role there because that's a really interesting transition from being yeah. the ceo of a tutoring business to being a director of product at a you know i assume a fast-growing technology-based yes. yeah. business yeah but before we even go there like okay so you are your own boss for Another. eight plus years and now you're you've got bosses yeah like, what was that like for you super so hard curious. 
Yeah, super, was it? Super hard. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. these are like the most amazing people. Um, I I loved working some of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with are at Rev, and yet I did feel like I was like a like a stallion that needed to be broken a little bit. Um, and I had, I mean, even before it, when I go back like to high school, my parents owned a restaurant. I worked in the restaurant in the evenings on the weekends, and I was just this little like pipsqueak and I was managing the restaurant by the time I was like 14. And so I was the manager in the restaurant managing people who were, you know, twice my age. And, and so I always sort of had that kind of sense of responsibility and, and then here all of a sudden, and even then, like, I didn't feel like I was working for my parents or anything. I felt like this was our family business and I'm in charge and, you know, um, and so this was really my first experience of having so really driving for somebody else's vision and somebody else's um, path. And it was it was tough initially. I think the hardest part is, at the very beginning was working in an office and having all the noise. And I I went to Jason, the CEO, and I said, he said, how's it going? And, and I said, I don't know. How does anybody focus when everybody's talking all the time and like people are on the phone? And, and so the next day I came to work and he had a uh, like some noise canceling headphones yeah. on on my my desk for me. Yeah, which was which was really nice. But no, it was so fun. I mean, this was like there is nothing better than building a product from scratch. I can't there is nothing more invigorating than than building a product from scratch and and whiteboarding every day and being able to say, you know, what if it works like this and then have the most brilliant people on the planet build it. It was so much fun. And I trained under, um, I did a, some product work before with Scholar Station, but I trained under Mark Chen, who is a is a mentor of mine, and he's just brilliant product mind. And so it was really fun to to work with him and to really train and, and get refine my own product skills. But it was it was a, a highlight of my career was that that period of time for sure. So you know, we, we were talking about Scholar Station. It seemed, look, it seemed to me that like transparency was a really big mm-hmm. part of your leadership philosophy. And then you get to Rev, and it's a, it, how much, how big of an organization was Rev at that point? I think there were. It was still small. Um, there was like sixteen of us or something oh, okay. at, wow. in the early early days, yeah. and then right. um, and then by the time I left, it was probably about eighty. I think wow. so. It really, it really it, grew. It grown. Yeah. yeah, quite a bit. What did you extract leadership-wise there? I mean, I, so I love hearing about people's careers because yeah. each stop along the way adds something new, like adds a new peak, like square to the tapestry. Like, what, 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 yeah. what, what, what did you add? I think I learned a lot of really good things. Um, I lean on things that that I learned, particularly from from Jason and and from Mark. Um, in when I was there, I when, there's something that Jason would say all the time. Um, where he really pushed me to always back up everything that I came to him with, right? Sure. And like always back up stuff that I came to him with. And so if I, if because he would say, if all we have are opinions, mine wins. And I was like, that's pretty good. I find myself like finding a maybe nicer way to say it now, but um, but the idea is good. Like, you know, to, to always kind of back up what you're saying. But these guys were just so, um, they pushed us all to always be our, best um and to bring our best self to to work um and mark 
had a, I think what I learned from Mark, Mark Chen, was that the responsibility of, of a boss, of a leader, um, of a manager is to make sure that the people that they manage are, are always growing and are, and I feel that I say that to, to employees every day, that my job is to make sure that everybody's set up for their next job. I don't want everybody to feel like I need them to work with me forever. I know that they won't, but I hope that the time that they work with me, they learn, they grow, and they are are really ready for whatever the next step in their career is. And I'll be the first one to cheer them on and be in their corner and support them. You know, it, we actually don't lose employees that see me very often, but um, but I want to make sure that you know when right. we do, it's always right. a level up. It's always a new right. opportunity, and yep. and I and that I really took from Mark. Um, that I think was incredible leadership to really take care of his team. I've had mentors like that over the years yeah. that you know clearly looked at your success as their success, whether mm-hmm. it's happening there or or elsewhere. But what I found is that sometimes it's hard for folks who hear that message to actually absorb it. They're like, yeah. you know, you know, are you saying you don't want me here? Like what's, right. you know, right. like, that, yeah. yeah. And, and it's never the, the case is always, no, no, no. Like I, I if, if you're crushing it and somebody takes, just sees that talent and hires you, well, we've benefited along the way, right? And right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in karma. Like if you do good things for people, good things, good things will happen for you. <laughs> yeah. How do you, have you experienced that? Like, have you, uh, talk about if that's been a thing for you. Yeah, I would love for employees to stay with me forever. I th- and I think that they they know that, um, you know. But via Zemi Lifer, that uh, would be fantastic. But I I hope that they always feel that I make decisions for them to help, kind of yeah. help them grow. Um, and so you know whatever that that is. I I also really rely something I really learned at. At Rev, I was super autonomous. I mean, I got to make a lot of decisions, especially in the early days, and I got to make a lot of decisions. And and it, I did better. Um, I didn't do as well later on when I felt there was the I didn't have as much freedom to make as many decisions. There were a lot more eyes on us. It was later the board was paying attention to how mm. this subsidiary business was doing, and so there's a lot more pressure. And my creativity squashed. And, and I noticed that I wasn't as good and as um, I started to kind of lose some some of my own kind of way a little bit and faith kind of in myself. But the times when I was trusted and autonomous, I came up with the best ideas. And so our our team at Zimi, I also say to them all the time, like each, each one of them is their own CEO of what they work on. They need to make right. their own decisions. They need to be, they need to, fight for what they believe in. They need to have the sort of space to be as creative as as possible. And if I'm on top of them all the time telling them what to do, then they're just, that's one person's probably not very good idea. They're better at their area than I am. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not a marketer. I'm not a data expert. You know, I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm, so there's, if I'm in there too much in their space, then then none of us is is going to do well. The, the business won't do well. I I think that that Vanessa comes from being confident in your own skin. Yeah. Right. You you don't feel threatened or um, you're able to know what you know and what you don't know. You've always been like that, or are those just lessons you've learned along the way? 
Yeah, good question. Um, I think confidence has definitely come with age, uh, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of imposter syndrome over the years. I think that's normal. I think every yeah. founder has moments of imposter syndrome. And I think now I just I just want the best people around me. I, you know, I, I, Rev was also very competitive um, at the time that I was there. It was a pretty competitive place to work. Um, and so there was a lot of self sort of just second guessing and um, and that kind of thing. And I, no, I don't really have that anymore. I just want the smartest people around yeah. me who know everything about their area and I know that I'm a killer operator who can bring really good people together. And yeah. so if I have confidence in that, you bring what you do and we will, you know, take over the world. Yeah, I love it. And is that, so is that where your next stop? Because I mean, Rev was interesting because you were the director of product, but then mm -hmm. you spun off a subsidiary called Math Elf. And I'm yes. curious, like, how did that happen? And <laughs> was some of the stuff we were just talking about feeding into it? Or like, I'm yeah, really, so that yeah. was sort of the plan all along. I don't think we had a name for it, but when they acquired my business, my business sort of evolved into Math Elf. So I ran uh, this this product division. Um, there weren't that many of us, but this piece of product uh, for Rev while we were sort of getting my original business transitioned and building and then building this product for for MathElf. So MathElf was a, a remote, globally scaled remote tutoring business. And so this was like 2013, 2014. This is like age of Uber for everything kind of a business. So we were Uber for tutoring. You, A student could pull up their phone out of their pocket, push a button, and within 20 seconds connect with a credentialed teacher who was somewhere in the U.S. The student could be anywhere in the world, but the teachers were all in the U.S. And these teachers were like moms on maternity leave, recently retired math teachers. Yeah. Uh, it was spectacular. Like the, the quality, the people that we worked with, we recruited about 400 tutors and they were just amazing, talented people who just care about students and wanted to interact with students, but weren't in a classroom all day long anymore. <laughs> and so the students could push this button, connect with this tutor, drop into a shared whiteboard, see the tutor and talk to each other. They could upload their homework. They could work in this whiteboard right on the homework. They could change pages like in a notebook. So it really simulated a lot of what we did with this very you know, high touch tutoring business that I had before, we translated that through technology into a very high touch tutoring model um, that was that was all uh, all on their phones. It was amazing. And then afterwards, students would get a copy of the session. They could watch it again. Yeah. They would get the notes so that they could read the notes again. All the things that we knew worked really well in real tutoring sessions. Um, it was really fun. That was a fun fun thing to build. My brain is firing. So I've got all these questions now that I yeah. want to ask about that connected to Zimi, but I'm going to hold on because yeah. I'm, I'm curious about a couple of things. But did you own the PL? Like, was that all you? Did, yeah. 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 Wow. yeah ran, ran the whole thing. I mean, we, it was, we ran it for about four years, scaled, scaled it up. It was a really cool part of the business. And Jason, um, the CEO of Rev and I, shared a real passion for sort of the future of education and democratizing access to really good quality education. Because this is the kind of tutoring that, you know, people would pay a lot of money for and that 
is really limited to a certain segment of society where, you know, there's there's wealthier kids getting access to this quality tutoring every week. And uh-huh. we were doing it for, you know, a fraction of the cost and because technology sort of supported it. And so we could hire tutors in different places and we could, I mean, it just was was really special to be able to give students who would never have access to this kind of tutoring, um, tutoring like that on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, whenever they needed it. How, so then how did that lead you to Zimi? Like, what was that? What was the story there? So I had my first son, he's now five. Um, I've got two boys and I had my son Shay and took a little time off from, from Rev. They were, had a generous leave policy. So generous in the U S. So, um, I took like three months off and I came back and it started to feel like it maybe was a good time for me to transition out from from Rev. I just I'd been there for four years. We'd scaled this product up and it started to feel like maybe it was time for me. You know, I have that yeah. entrepreneurial kind of spirit and I like was starting to get itchy to just kind of go do something else. So I gave my notice and about two months after I gave my notice I left in in May of twenty eighteen and knew I just wanted to start something fresh and and do so I was started researching like what should my next business be I'm going to launch something new and so I was in that kind of research phase my husband and I took our our baby who was now like eight months old and we went to Iceland and we rented an RV and we spent almost a month in Iceland like driving around the country and it was so fun and then we did some other adventures over that summer and I was just kind of trying to figure out like what is my next venture? And a friend of mine, um, a good friend of mine, who's also a founder in the San Francisco area, um, texted me or something and he said, hey, I've got a, a friend's company is looking for a new CEO. Um, you know, would, would, you, would you be interested? It's in ed tech and kind of in, you know, college, college mission space. And, and I was like, oh no, I'm gonna start my own thing. Um, you know, I've got my own thing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick off. And, and he's like, oh, well, shoot, I already gave them your information. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And so then my phone rang like the next day and it was one of the That's board great. members. And um, so I had checked out Zimi and stuff. And so, and this board member and I just, I, we must've talked for like an hour and a half. Um, and it just made so much, like I could just see the path of the company. And Zimi was in kind of rough shape at the time. So it had about three months of runway. Okay. Um, and so it was a, a, I mean, you could say it was a big bet or it was just like a no lose situation. Like what's the worst right. that can happen? I'm yeah. back here again in three months. I was going to yeah. say, well, yeah. you're back to 2006 starting a tutoring company, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Like not? here I am again. Yeah. yeah. So when I first knew Zimi, it was the product at the time was basically like a portfolio, portfolio based service. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could upload your things and share kind of the personal side of your story with colleges. But then it's gone through this massive pivot and it's caught fire. Where you're more of like a community tool now for individual colleges. Yeah. Am I getting that right? Like, do I you have are. that? Do I, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you are. So the the original product was um, all about adding a video or some photos sort of with your college application process. And this is like classic product. You see people actually using a different part of your product, a little, mm-hmm. you know, different than you intended, differently yeah. than you mm-hmm. intended. 
Uh-huh. And so I think with this one, what we saw was that people really wanted to connect with each other and they really wanted to connect with the schools, maybe not so much about, you know, recording these videos and, and you know, sprucing up their application, but more about just getting to know other people and making the right decision. And so that was the the path, you know, when you see people kind of forging their own path in the woods as a product person, you you pave the path. And so that's that's kind of where community came from and Zimi's Zimi today came from yeah. this community product. The power community is unbelievable. I mean, I've yeah. experienced it on so many yeah. different yeah. levels over the last five, six, seven years. I I'm curious though, when you were talking about Mouth Elf and the like the instant connection that a person would ha- like a student would have with a teacher, did any mm-hmm. of that find its way? Like did you make the connection from what you were doing there as to how how it would resonate or just the how the concept would resonate with um That's colleges? a good question. I don't I don't think that that was where I felt the most uh kind of transferable experience from yeah. my career. I think my I'd been supporting this population my entire career and I knew the anxieties and the pressures and just the isolation that people feel when they are learning, when they're applying to school. And that's something that I was really passionate about supporting. And so I think that's, you know, whether you support it through giving people new tools and skills to help them level up, you know, through actual like tutoring, college advising, that sort of thing, or you're giving them community to lend that kind of support and reduce anxiety and help you feel more connected and be more successful. That that feels more transferable to that me. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It makes a lot yeah. of sense. So we're going to get more into Zimi, like where it is today, but you said earlier, sure. like you walked in with three months of runway. Like, yeah. What, what, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, so that was one of the harder parts, um, cut burn. Um, so that is kind of the, the tough beginning is to kind of trim yeah. everything down first to extend extend that runway. Um, and then also sunset, there was that that existing original product was was still kind of in the mix and it was pulling focus. So we had to kind of sunset that and and really hone in on, you know, singular focus. I'm a product person, so I I really strongly believe if you build it they will come and we hadn't built it yet the mm-hmm. where the product was when i joined the app was crashing and and the sales team was way too big and they were trying to sell something that wasn't really working and so we we trimmed it all down and and switched the balance and so we grew the product and engineering team and trimmed down the sales team and really focused on building something that worked and then trusted that people would would purchase it once once and use it once it was you know in place and all the pieces were in place and that proved true so i raised about 6 months after i joined raised some money on sort of what we'd accomplished and and um the the vision that we had and then um we were kind of off to the races from from that point and we actually only hired our first vp of sales this january so we were huh. relying on inbound traffic and word of mouth and we grew to all of these colleges over 180 colleges just just on inbound traffic because the product is really solid 
Well, it's also what you hit number 13 on the app store. We did. Yes. That's well, uh, that's we did. Incredible. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. It does. Yeah. That, yeah. It, it does help. It's great to be up there with the top, the top social apps. And here we are, this little, you know, college app that is not so little anymore. No, not at yeah. all. I, this, I'm, I don't want to leave those first six months for it yet because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm that sounds so. That sounds like it was the hardest part of your tenure. For um, sure. What did you What did you take away from that? I mean, I know you know if you build it, they will come, right? You had to get that product focus, but was there anything else in there? I think that's where that transparency was really important, right? Because it's so important when you come in to take over an existing team. That's very yeah. different than building a team from scratch. Uh huh. And what could be more important than giving these, I mean, I felt so responsible for every single person on the team. And, you know, while initially before I knew anybody, I could say, oh, you know, three months, we're out of business. What, you know, what does it matter if I, if I fail at this? But, you know, you meet everybody and it matters. These are people who rely on these salaries. And so to make those decisions about cuts that, you know, headcount cuts was very hard. Um, And, you know, I, those conversations were incredibly hard. And then to have people trust you and to trust, I think one of the most important things when you do cuts like this, and I've, and, and it's certainly um, relevant right now with so many yeah. businesses making all of these cuts. And I, I was actually just talking to uh, some people on my team about this the other day, because there was, there was a company, I won't say who, who did a, a cut and it's like a, a small cut. And it's like, if you, you need to really communicate as much as you can around these moments to the team so yep. that people know when they feel safe again. Because otherwise, if you're just kind of doing these little haircuts here and there, everybody feels like they're always on on the chopping block. Yeah. And there's never any security. And and what I learned from my own career is when there's no security or if you don't if you don't feel, you know, whatever it is, autonomous, if you don't feel supported, if you don't feel like there's transparency your creativity and your ability to do your job well shuts down. And so so that was really important to, to say, here's the moment where we're making some cuts. We're making cuts in a lot of different areas, but headcount obviously is the most personal. And now that moment's done. And so we got everybody together once that was done. And we had a meeting where I said, here's exactly where we are. Here's where we are, you know, financially. Here's where we are. Here's where everything is. And here's where we're going. And here's why you can trust that I'm going to get you there. And and I think we bonded together, and it and it really took us to the next next step. Yeah. How um, so? You're definitely being entrepreneurial within the company, Vanessa, but you're not. It's not yours. So it's you, not. Have, I assume you have a board and bosses. I do. How's that yes, going? I do. I have uh, an amazing board, a super yeah. supportive board who did not invest in me initially they did invest in me in this last round that that we raised um and so they have invested in me but i was not the original person who they invested in though they were the ones that brought me in they're incredibly supportive um but it is different i mean i've i've matured in my career as well you know it's easier for me to I'm I'm not that, you know, wild stallion anymore that doesn't like to be told (laughs) what to do um i you know now have a more self-confidence in myself to push back and to say, here's where I think we should go, but I'm open to ideas. And, you know, yeah. I think I've grown a lot. I think I was a pretty headstrong, um, younger person 
yeah, that I am. You think now. that's experience, time, all of all it. the above? Yeah, all of wisdom, the above, right? Yeah, wisdom, and yeah. and you know yeah. what? I think being a mom is helpful. I think like just having sort of the the greater picture always in place. There's you, having children kind of does that to you, I think, and so I think there's just a sense of perspective that that and calm because life is crazy all over the place and you know work is one thing where i feel um there's just always i can i feel a straight path and i i enjoy the advice of the board i really lean on them heavily i i look forward to talking and getting that kind of support um and getting you know working collaboratively with them so it it doesn't feel quite the same as as like a you know boss with this like that moment yeah so Zimi has been a, a remote-based company for a long time now, right? Yeah. So, well, we we were about half and half, um, uh, half in the office in Redwood City and half remote. And then 2020 hit, and that was a really difficult year for us. Um, there were some months where I wasn't sure we were going to make payroll because it was just, we, we had a $5 million investment lined up in February. We had a term sheet signed. We had plans for all the money. And in March of 2020, um, the world changed, yep. uh-huh. and that money fell apart. And it and so we were really had to tighten our belts and and cut burn. And um, we've actually cut burn every year. I've been at Zimi, and we've grown revenue. I mean, we're over 10x um, last year where we were when I started. Um, and so we've grown, you know, revenue significantly. But that was a year where we had to cut burn, and we sort of wiggled out of our um, our lease. And <laughs> we were we were in a three year lease, and it was a bit of a a bit of a wiggle. But uh, we got ourselves out and and saved some cash there. And by the end of the year, colleges were spending again, and and we right. were we were in fine shape. But it was it was tough. Yeah, we we had to tighten things. How do you manage a remote workforce? You know, there's all this tension about remote, yeah. hybrid, in office. You know, if you don't see everybody, you can't build culture. And like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to cast judgment one way or another. But I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you manage it? So Zimi has the best culture of any place I've ever been, um, and I don't see any of these people in person. I'm always surprised at how tall people are when we get together in, in person. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, and we joke and we're like, oh, you've got legs, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's surprising. Um, best culture of anywhere I've ever worked. I And it, we get together all week long, every, every day at 2 p.m. Pacific. We have some sort of event where the whole company gets, gets on and we do, <laughs> so on Fridays, it's just happy hour. Um, on Thursdays, I'll work backwards. On Thursdays, we do a thankful Thursday where everybody comes and just says what they're thankful for. Somebody on the team who did something that they're, that they appreciate. Um, on Wednesdays, we do this, like, we call it wisdom Wednesdays. And you come with like some random facts, some random piece of knowledge. Like I learned that Dolly Parton once lost a celebrity lookalike contest to a Dolly Parton impersonator. <laughs> I didn't know that. And you're fabulous. never going to forget, right? I will never forget it. So, right. And it yeah, sparks a really fun conversation. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, like, yeah. So we do that. We do these fun things every Friday in the morning. We do it all hands. And we go around and everybody kind of shares, like, what's going on in their department. And then we play games. We play a lot of code names. 
Um, (laughs) And so it's fun. Like everybody's a family and, you know, we've got about 25 employees, a little little more than that if we include some um, part-timers. And it's just the best. Like I, I feel so close to everybody. Everybody knows every, you know, partner's names, kids' names, dogs' names. And we're we're a very close company, very very close. We do workouts together on Zoom. That's, that's great. Like, that's yeah, great. Love it. Did fun. that exist before you got Love there, it. though, or is that you? Um, I think it's so. Adam, our our co-founder, um, Adam and I, and and Minnie, our CFO. I think um, we three as a team kind of brought this this okay. energy. I think. Um, yeah. That's I think awesome. It's, it's that's been why something don't that leave. we're. Yeah, yeah that's they right. don't leave. Um, <laughs> It's something that we've been very conscious about, yeah. um, and and we we think about it a lot. We think about culture a lot, and and also work life balance a lot, and make sure that uh-huh. that everybody's living their fullest life, and doesn't yeah. you know not just in in work. I was just listening to a podcast um, with Jason Freed from Basecamp, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how he looks at his company as a product, like mm-hmm. always iterating on the company, the culture. You know, things that they do to support employees yeah. and just thinking about it with that kind of product roadmap and you know, yeah. how do we keep growing and making it a better place to work i thought of that was interesting he thinks about it that way that that's great yeah. um i love that yeah it is it it takes um i wouldn't say i think about it like a product um i think about it more like how consciously i think about raising my family mm. um you know these are people and these yep. are relationships and and we need to nurture those relationships and take care of them and i'm constantly changing things within our family you know we're con- my husband and i are constantly looking at it again are we doing this the right way are we you know and i think adam minnie and i um do that too like what else you know, where are we falling down what else could we be doing what do people need right now what are the what are the what do they need to grow? What do they need to feel closer? What do you know? And how do we support everybody so that everybody's doing their best work? I, the happier people are, and the more connected they feel to each other, the more likely they are to work cross-functionally. The more yeah. likely, you know, which we get so much more out of when they, when people are easily like tapping each other on the shoulder and saying, "Can you help me with this thing?" And then they come to work happy, and they come to work, you know, opening their laptop and and looking forward to seeing their colleagues. And it's everything is better when when everybody is kind of feeling more settled and centered and and at peace yeah and do they feel empowered to bring difficult things to you like is that part of the transparency piece i hope they do um i hope so i you know it's hard for me to answer that question sure um people do bring bring hard things to me um i hope that people don't it's not like Everybody has to just say yes all the time. Right. Um, but yeah. I think so. I mean, we we noodle on some really tough stuff as a team. And and that can be brought up by anybody. And anybody can push back on, on everything. You know, I'm just thinking about, like, the transparency piece and how that builds into happiness. Like, if you know where you stand, then that, that, that kind of pressure or concern or fear hopefully gets mitigated to a large extent. And yeah. Brendan, I, you remember... Um, uh, Chuck Will at Proctor Academy. I don't know if you ever sure. came across Chuck, Vanessa, but he was like the voice of this school in New Hampshire. And he was so progressive and ahead of his times. He was blogging in like 1999 before yeah. it even existed. <laughs> yeah. But I remember I talked to him once and he said, 
you got to give the good and the bad because if all you give is the good, nobody's going to believe you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that yeah. is so true. It, and that just speaks back to transparency and being open. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Vanessa, I'm wondering too, um, you've had this great career, you've been really successful, and you're a woman in tech. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about, you said, guy, 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 guy. What's that been like? Is it is that a superpower for you? Has it been problematic for you? Love to hear your take on that. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, the stats just came out for like funding for women led yeah. businesses and we dropped again oh, for no, you know, we it. hit a peak of two point seven percent of of all yeah, funding wow. in like twenty nineteen or twenty twenty, and now we're at one point nine percent of all funding yeah. goes to women led businesses. So some of it just is kind of awful. Yeah. Um yeah. and and isn't, you know, is isn't great. I think um I think it gives there's a superpower in the sense that recruiting a more diverse team just comes naturally cuz you know, I think the default is that people tend to try to recruit people who are like them and you yeah. have to proactively go after other people um who are not like you. And I think yeah. that, you know, so hiring women makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> um, and so I have to proactively, you know, I'm a white woman. I have to proactively yeah. make sure that we are expanding our pools, you know, elsewhere. Um, but I think, yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a boys club. Um, I think that that was actually, and and they've changed a ton since, but that was a big reason why I, I actually left Rev when I did. Um, I was yeah. the only woman in a in a leadership role oh. there and yeah. and it didn't feel great um and it didn't you know i really got to experience what it feels like to to just feel like an outsider um in in a place where you shouldn't be on the outside like i, I was part of this inner circle and yet right. i didn't you know it didn't feel right yeah. um so yeah i think it's been both it's it's both a superpower i think it, it helps, um, again, being a woman and a mom helps to yeah. manage all sorts of situations, I yeah. think, and and different personalities and to operate from a place of empathy and um, handle, you know, an occasional tantrum or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I think so on some level it's good. I think on some level it's hard. I think going yeah. into sure. like fundraising and meeting with um, VCs who are, there's not a woman on their on their team. It's, it's, yeah. it, it can, um, it's crazy. be very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just yeah. a world I don't, I, I've never, ex yeah. I've never experienced like the venture world and yeah, you know, I just, I can't even fathom what that's like. It sometimes feels, so I, it, I know this about me and this, this is what the stats are. And I'm like completely fall into these stats. I'm, I'm exactly what they say women are when they go into these, these fundraising meetings. I come in with all the data. I come in with all the just like, here's what we've done. Here's where we're going. You know, look at these numbers. Isn't this amazing? And I think a lot of men um, statistically and what a lot of these VCs are looking for is the energetic Adam Newman type that mm. comes in and is like, here's my big vision. You know, and I think that being a woman, I sometimes feel more pressure to just prove it, you know, like back it up back it up with with numbers back it up with results and and that 
can sometimes work for you, sometimes can work against you. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, just outsiders looking in, you're proving it every day at Zemi. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you, you don't get to 13th in the app store <laughs> if you're not doing like some really cool Thanks. stuff over there. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Vanessa, as we uh, uh, as we wrap up, I'm curious, like we, we try to cap our, our conversations because we go on these reflective journeys, right? And mm-hmm. think about all the things that have happened. And as you have had an opportunity to reflect and think, and I'm sure you've done a lot more than the hour we've been together here, right? But <laughs> like, if you could re, if you could go down the path again of your career, would you take the same path? Would you do it differently? I love where I am today, and I would only be here if I took that path. Um, I love where I am today. I can't say it enough. I love what I do every day. I love the people I work with. I would never change that. Um, I don't know. I love. I it was it was a lot of fun. I I think overall, like I've only done things that I'm passionate about and that are fun and following the things that I enjoy doing um, has gotten me here. That's you know, awesome. I, I think um, so. I think I would do it again. I think there's some other things that would be fun. I think having it could have gone to business school or something like that. My my husband did that. That sounds like that's a lot of fun. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that wasn't my path. So and I think I think that I am. I know I'm a very good operator and I think that I'm a very good operator because I had a small business first and because of those experiences and because my training was really on the street in, you know, forged by fire kind of thing. And so I think that that makes me more thoughtful about spend. It makes it easier for me to cut spend. Um, and so I like where I am. I think, yeah, I think I would do it all again. That's yeah. awesome. By the way, yes. no better training ground than owning a small business. No. I mean. No. It goes back to the hot dog. It, it, does. it the... all starts with the hot dog. It's where we started. My whole life goes... starts with the hot dog. It That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so Vanessa, uh, thanks again for doing this. Where do you want to send people? Where can they learn more about you? I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Vanessa Didick. I am, yeah, you can reach me there. I'm Vanessa at zme.com if anybody ever wants to reach me directly. Um, yeah, and you can find us at zme.com. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. Vanessa. Yeah. Yeah, Vanessa, thank you. Thanks again for coming on. This has been a really, really fun conversation. I've learned a yeah. ton, learned a lot of lessons. Like, I'm, yeah, a lot that I've taken from this. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, so Vanessa. fun. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Backstory. Make sure to subscribe from your favorite podcast player and leave us a review if you like what you hear. We appreciate you sharing your feedback with other listeners. Peter Barron and Brendan Schneider host The Leadership Backstory. Catch you on the next episode.